Welcome to In Search of the Great America, a virtual road trip to the biggest city and a small town in each state of the Union. 100 guests will be invited to define their great America, past, present, and future. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and I really want to know, what's your great America? Hello and welcome to In Search of the Great America. Today we have with us in the studio De La Vaca. He is the managing editor of Yellow Scene in Boulder County, Colorado, and he is a journalist of color. Hello, De La Vaca. Welcome to In Search of the Great America. Hi. Thanks for having me. So I'll just launch into the questions. Where did you grow up and what was it like? Nowhere and everywhere. My story is kind of weird because I was born like near death and I ended up in an incubator and then my parents had to like hire a nurse to keep me alive. But by nine months old, I was living in Globe, Arizona. I was born in East L.A., like the movie, but I'm not really from L.A. I was in Globe, Arizona. Then I moved so many times, I'm not really from anywhere. So growing up was weird because you get used to making friends quickly and leaving friends quickly. And so people think that you're a bit strange because you're able to just leave. But that's how growing up, moving a lot, that's how it makes you live. That's how you survive. I moved to Colorado from, from Amsterdam, in fact, so all over the place. You know, some formative places for me were Riverside, California. That's where I finished high school and got inspired to get into community work and activism. Uh, Davis, California, where I did my college work and had my first real job. And Amsterdam, uh, the Netherlands in general, I spent time in Utrecht, Ada, and uh, the Bilmer District, which is like southern Amsterdam. Uh, and that taught me a lot about liberty and tolerance and internationalism in a very uh, liberal, progressive political state. Traveling is good for the soul in general. Like moving around is good for the soul. But I think I might have moved too many times. And you have a specific attachment to places or people. That's normal for the human psyche, for the human soul. And me, I have a specific detachment from people and places. Wherever I'm at is a nice place as long as there's good people. But then I can get up right now and walk out the door and pack a bag, literally leave all my stuff behind and never see anybody here. I'll be fine. Which is a strange thing, right? It's almost like, does something break? Is it, is it all right? It is. It's just you get used to leaving. I'm also good at staying. I've been here in Colorado almost four years now, and I've developed really great networks, really great people uh, in my life, been able to excel in my career here, and I don't have any plans to leave. But also, given the political climate of America, as a person of color, I might have to, and I have the skills and the networks to be able to go many places on the globe to be safe. California will always be home, palm trees, rap music, skateboarding, long summer nights, empty fields, this kind of stuff, parking lots. I'm a California boy, and I think that's pretty ingrained in who I am, but people are often confused about who I am and where I am. There was a, I designed an article about a year ago on the changing workplace, and we've been moving to remote since the internet was first invented, right? Like, we've been doing that, and now it's accelerated. Like there's been like 240 some percent jump in remote work. The future of the workplace is demolishing workplaces and letting folks work remotely. Overall, I mean, we still have places we have to be, but yeah. Was there a time in history that you thought America was great and why? No. 1491. Does that count? Pre-American. As a Native American, I consider myself Native pre-American. From the first moments that Europeans arrived on these shores... When Columbus got lost and landed on an island and never found the mainland, the first thought was, how do we enslave these people? How do we get rich off of them? Uh, Eduardo Galeano wrote a book called uh, Open Veins of Latin America. And 
the first chapter is called The Sign of the Cross on the Hilt of the Sword. That's what America's been. It's what it is today. The moral majority, the evangelicals, the right wing. As a, as a native person, that's like my formative identity. There's no time that's been safe for me. No time that's been safe for my people since Europeans arrived. There's no time that's been safe for women. There's been no time that's been safe for black people. There's been no time that's been safe for the disabled, differently abled, queer people. Uh, so no, America's never been great. I think there's some great parts of America, specifically art, music. Like we're a creative country. We're creative thinkers and we act on our creative impulses. But then as a writer, as a poet, as a, as a painter myself, we tend to acknowledge that a lot of creation comes from pain. It comes from dark times. It comes from struggle. Uh, it's not all light and sunshine. And so the fact that America is so wonderfully creative could also be because we're such a horrific place to be. You know, we don't think about it. I think about it. But one of the only book series that Hitler had on his desk when he was starting the Third Reich was about genocide of Native Americans. It was about Ford's history of anti-Semitism. Those stories are what fuel fascism around the world, Native genocide. That's the one thing that is great about America right now is that in spite of all the attempts to eradicate the original inhabitants of this land, we're still here. I'm still here. That's great. That's beautiful. Like, thank you for trying. You know, we look at uh, Donald Trump right now in the concentration camps filled with mostly brown people on our borders, forced sterilization of Native women, ongoing, ongoing, ongoing genocide. And we ignore that those concentration camp networks were built by Democrats. It was built by Obama and Biden. Trump made it worse, but Obama made Bush's policies in the Middle East worse. This is two wings of the same fascist bird in America. As a Native person, we're just trying to survive it. I was having a real conversation with some Native folks about how we identify as Native Americans, which is kind of like a mantle of white supremacy labeled on us. Like, we don't identify. We were never Native Americans until they told us, you're now Native Americans. Even the word Indians is because they were lost and thought this was India. This, You know, we're not Indians. And so I told my friend that I, I like to identify as a pre-American. And he was like, oh, that's interesting because that's actually more real. I'm like, yeah, I'm Navajo, Apache, pre-American. What is great about America now for you? That's a hard question. I, I don't know how to properly answer it. I know that I, I went to college because I had been trafficked into the school to prison pipeline. And once you get arrested, they just want to keep stopping you to violate you. They don't, there's no rehab. This is when I was young, 16, 17. I'm, uh, I'm 42 now, so I'm, I'm a grown adult and I had to survive that, that system. I remember being told, get a job and work. And so I got a job and I worked and I would become a manager and then they would do background checks and say, oh, well, you had a crime X years ago, so we, we have to let you go. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, what am I supposed to do other than crime if you won't let me work? I don't know. So then my friend said, you know, that, that'll fall off your record in 10 years. You should just go to college. Do that. You know, you can go to school. All the girls are there. You'll have fun. You'll party. So yeah, I went to college and then I figured out that apart from partying in girls, it was fun to learn. I had to relearn how to learn. I was really smart. In third grade, I tested out of high school level. In third grade, I tested at college level reading comprehension and mathematics. When I dropped out of high school, I took the test to place for adult ed and I tested out of high school again. I was all, already trying to survive and be smart, but the system wouldn't let me. Schools wouldn't let me. Police wouldn't let me. White supremacy wouldn't let me. And so 
college and activism and work. Even in 2014, it was terrible. So I went to Europe and it was nice. It was nice. It was the first time in my life I could walk past specifically white women and not have them cross the street or hold their purse tighter. It was two years where I never had a police interaction that I didn't initiate. You know what I'm saying? That's insane. It's not insane because that's the way Europeans live. That's the way a lot of the rest of the world lives. I traveled all over Western Europe, never had a police interaction that I didn't initiate. Excuse me, officer. Can you help me out? I'm looking for directions. You know, that was it. It was different. I remember being there and a friend that's Native American told me, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself, but just remember that we're Native. And if you leave forever, that's called forfeit. This is our land. We have to keep fighting. And it, it touched me. It hurt. I knew. I was still doing political work over there. And sure enough, I was invited to come speak at the Torpedo Theater on a show called Ravenville Witten, which is like Raven says. It was about the impact of the 2016 election on European politics. So I'm, I'm on stage talking about politics. So the guy in the audience, uh, so, you know, real, I have a quick question. You seem like you know what you're talking about. You seem like you give a f What are you doing here? And it touched me. So I moved back to America within a few months. And I started doing volunteer events for Bernie and knocking on doors for Democrats. And that's how I ended up in Colorado, where I became editor of Yellow Scene magazine. I met the publisher going to Standing Rock. And we spent a week out there. We're there the same week as AOC, which is crazy. But, you know, you get involved and you maybe it's not America's not great, but we're we're actually trying to make it great. Actually trying to make it a place that we we, we want to be for all of us and not just for like cis hetero white men. What does your great America look like in the future? Egalitarian, safe, uh, land back to indigenous people, indigenous stewardship of our open spaces, indigenous leadership in more spaces across our country, more women in power that aren't playing the role of patriarchy lapdog, a return to rule by the people instead of the kleptocratic oligarchic system that we're witnessing now, police reform, police abolishment, a move to community policing, an end to the uh, American lawn, which is weird. I hate I hate American lawns. I studied landscape architecture for a little bit, and it's, it's it's terrible. First, it's terrible how much they stole from Native Americans and don't acknowledge. But also, then you talk, start talking about lawns, and you're like, oh my god, it's a mess. Like, who tricked us all into planting invasive species across the country to drain our water aquifers? It's a mess. And that actually, it's a weird thing, because I go off on tangents. Lawns came from the French and English Enclosure Acts. The Enclosure Act said that all land had to be held by private property or state property. It couldn't just be open land for everybody. And that forced all the people that were living on the land to move to cities. It's kind of how they started capitalism and you know, the Industrial Revolution. But it was a sign of wealth to have a lawn for no purpose other than aesthetics, right? It's very pre-French Revolution, which is also an important point because what America needs, it might be another revolution or civil war. We look at the French and we say, this is one of the most liberal, egalitarian, democratic places on the planet. The people are heavily, heavily invested in the democratic state. France has been around for a little over a thousand years, and they've had the French Revolution that we all talk about, but they also have had probably five or six other revolutions, revolts that changed the nature of the system, redirected democracy. They've written their constitution over several times, and we hold ours sacrosanct as if a bunch of white male slave owners in the 1700s knew best for then or even for now. 
They didn't do the worst job, but they definitely didn't do a good job. They're smart enough to steal ideas from the Iroquois Confederacy and the organization of the American state in relation to our power center, Washington, D.C. not being a state. They were smart enough to take over lands where natives were living because we already knew where to live. But then they fucked that up with things like our horrific grid system across America. You could see where the grids work and where people actually built to the land. Who are we when we are our best? Who are we when we are our best? Makes me think very quickly of that book, The Global Soul. Reminds me of being in a sociology class at Riverside Community College. And the professor said that you all need to stop being nationalists or, or Americans first. That's not what the world needs. The world needs global citizens. The world needs us to be invested not just in our own rational self-interest, right? Our own greed, our own me over you, me first. I support your rights as long as my rights come first. Us at our best is me giving a shit about people I, I will never see or meet. It's me caring about land and air and earth that I'll never step on or swim in or feel. Us at our best is thinking beyond the confines of the limited imagination that we've conjured to create the world we live in today. Albert Einstein said that the world we've created is a product of our thinking, and it cannot be changed without changing the way we think. At our best, we're constantly fighting for each other, constantly loving each other, constantly hoping for the best, constantly saying, I'm an atheist, but I support your religion. Let's just not make that into the national doctrine. It's being honest and being open. It actually calls for a, a radical reinvestment in destroying ourselves, like our personal selves, breaking all that apart, see who we are. What's the schema? What have you accepted as normal? What have you thought is the truth? What have you believed because somebody told you or because all you've seen? And reimagining who we are as individuals, who we are in relation to each other and in relation to the spaces that we that we occupy and don't occupy. At our best, man, that's... It's us, all of us. There's no more me and you. Why it's a good question when we are at our best. Because it's collective. But it's a global collective. It can't just be an American collective or a white male collective. You know, I had an argument with a professor at UC Davis once. And he was arguing that European military might, the superiority of arms, made them superior to natives. I argued that Native Americans were in fact superior in that moment. Because we saw people coming from boats and said, come ashore. What do you need? Let us help. It's not superior to turn around and kill the hand that feeds you. It's not superior to have bigger guns and a willingness to use them. Not in my, not in my opinion. Who are we at, at, at our best? We're, uh, we're a return to indigenous structures, indigenous ways of life globally. That's what I would think. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for your great America. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to In Search of the Great America. Today's episode had music by Valentin Sochnitsky. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. For show notes and more information on the podcast, please visit our website, greatamericaproject.com. Thank you.